Way out west, there was this fella. Fella I want to tell you about. Fella by the name of Jeff Lebowski. At least that was the handle his loving parents gave him. And he never had much use for himself. This Lebowski, he called himself the dude. Hello and welcome. Welcome and hello. This is Wait You Haven't Seen, and it's a show where we talk about movies, and specifically a movie at least one of us has never seen before. I'm your host, Travis, a.k.a. TV's Travis. This is episode number 87, and our movie this week was The Big Lebowski. And joining me, because he had never seen it before, from the More You Nerd podcast, it's Miles. Miles, how you doing? Doing pretty well. How you doing, Travis? Not too bad. Not too bad. I get to talk about one of my favorite movies. How can I complain, yeah. right? And I'm enjoying a nice I, white Russian while we do it. So, I I think I mentioned this last time that Drew and I were on the show for Tron. Mm-hmm. Is that I I love I love 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 the concept of your show because it's something that I always love to do with people is to find movies, especially culturally significant movies that people haven't seen, just somehow, and not the oh I've never seen Star Wars, but you know some of these like these real holes in their movie viewing experience like this mm-hmm. this is one of my biggest holes I, I have somehow avoided not avoided but i've somehow not seen this movie despite its 22 years of massive cult popularity and that's the and, thing with it right it's a cult movie in every sense of the word because i was old enough to remember when this hit theaters and it kind of it wasn't a dud but it certainly wasn't a smash hit either right and this was, I mean, the Coens weren't exactly on a hot streak at this time, were they? I mean, they did Fargo, but they also had, like, Hudsucker Proxy, and didn't that bomb pretty bad? Uh, Hudsucker Proxy didn't do that great. Um, but then, I mean, Fargo was huge. Fargo was really yeah, the Fargo movie was that really put them on the map and kind of made them a household name. This came out, and it the thing with it was is it's not like it's a bad movie, and it's not like it did horribly. I mean, I think... Uh, you know, but it was he made forty something like that. Yeah, it made like forty six worldwide, so it wasn't exactly a huge hit. And then, then this is nineteen ninety eight, so numbers are going to be a little bit different. But and it was never going to be like a huge blockbuster, but it took on right. such a cult following and became such a cultural touchstone of a movie. So I saw it. I didn't see it ninety eight. I saw it a couple years later. I actually and I tweeted this last night when I was rewatching it for tonight. Every single time I watched this movie. The opening credits, which are a fun little opening credit sequence of bowling alleys, right? And it's old school bowling alley. Immediately mm-hmm. takes me back to my freshman year of college when my uh, a good friend of mine that I had gone to grade school with and his roommate and I would go to the student union every Saturday night and we would bowl at an old school bowling lane they had in the basement of our student union at Michigan State. And they were the ones, they showed me this movie because his roommate, Eric, um, was like you haven't seen the Big Lebowski, you've got to watch this movie. And this was uh, this would have been the fall of two thousand. And so he sat me down. The three of us watched it, and I think that night we went bowling. And it was just that was like one of our things. So immediately it's I'm taken back to that. You experienced that film, <laughs> absolutely. And so. that's one of those things. It, it I remember seeing the the the, the VHS cassette, at like Hollywood Video and stuff, mm-hmm. when it came out. And I mean for whatever reason, I just never watched it. And then it became kind of one of those film bro movies that 
it does you know, that a little, yeah. And and most of those movies tend to be very good films, but it's it's these guys who basically pretend to have this massive film buff knowledge and it's mostly the most superficial obvious choices you can get you know scarface yeah. poster uh, boondock saints you know stuff like that mm-hmm. not that there's anything necessarily wrong with those films per se it's just those kind of of film quote-unquote buffs and i i think this is also a hangover from like maybe my my teen punk years where if everyone's telling me to see a movie I sort of try to actively avoid it. I, I grat at that, obviously, but for whatever reason, this movie, and I remained spoiler free. I knew I had no idea what was going to happen this entire time. I think that's I've even impressive. started this once. Yeah, like, like, like that's a hard thing to do when something, when something is like this, where you know it's quoted by people. I mean, there's literally there's a religion based off of this movie. Yeah, there's the Church I mean, of the Latter Day Dude. Like, yeah. And I knew some of the lines. Like I, I knew the dude abides mm-hmm. or, you know, well, man, that's like your opinion, like yeah. the, uh, you know, stuff like that or however that line goes. Like mm-hmm. I, there was a couple of lines that I, di- I did know. And yeah. obviously I knew the image of uh, the, the dude. Yeah. Which is uh, <laughs> kind of funny. That the last time we were recording together, we were also talking about Jeff Bridges. <laughs> yeah, that is kind of funny, actually. I didn't even make that connection until you just said that. But yeah, the the last time we were together was talking about Jeff Bridges and, and another rather iconic role for him, really. Yeah. I mean, it, and, oh, okay, I, I'm sorry. I've got to talk about Jeff Bridges here because holy <laughs> crap. First of all, he's perfect for this role. And I love 100%. some of the trivia behind it is because um, he was on, I think, inside the actor studio at one point, And he basically said in the interview, you know, he went to the Coens and he's like, did you guys know me in high school or something? Because you wrote this character. It's basically me in the seventies. Um, I can and, see it. I can totally see it. Oh, absolutely. And the dude is based on uh, somebody that, that the Coens actually knew. Um, and I can't think of his name now, but he went by the dude as well. So it was, it's semi realistic in that sense. The Coens do that a lot. They take, they take stuff yeah. that happened in their life and they sort of, hyper stylize it and add it into their movies. And if you're going to go by something, the dude is kind of this great name to go by. It sounds like it'd be so easy to think of, but like imagine having not seen this movie and someone just referred to themselves as the dude. Right. You'd just be like, Oh man, it's a pretty cool, pretty cool person. Yeah, basically. And, but bridges like this is a guy who, who has multiple roles like this. You know, some actors you're like, okay, this, you know, this guy is is this role or this woman is this role, and that's what you remember them for. But you can you can talk to different people about Jeff Bridges, sort of like Sean Connery in a way. Connery had sort of the mm-hmm. same thing where it's like, oh, he's James Bond, or you know, oh, he was um, Ramirez and Highlander. And if you're if you're a big Highlander fan, that's what you're going to think of. With Jeff Bridges, it's like you got Tron and him playing uh, Flynn in that. You got him in this, which is a huge... Kind of a dude prototype. (laughs) A little bit, yeah. He's sort of a proto-dude. You have uh, Starman is another one of those that's really iconic. Mm -hmm. Um, So it's it's impressive to have that kind of a... And and we're not even talking about the role he won an Oscar for. Right? Because he won an Oscar for... um, Crazy Heart. Yeah, Crazy Heart. So, and he's also he just he has a specific charisma that when you see him on screen, no matter what character he's playing, he just kind of exudes this visual likability. 
-hmm. whether he's playing a character you may not care for or not, he's always super kinetic on screen. And he, and and especially in this film, and I understand I, I, I watching this movie and I was a little worried because, you know, this movie has such a cultural hype behind it. And I really was concerned that I was going to be like, "Mm, it was okay. But I, I loved this movie. I, I had a really, really great time watching this one. Oh, that's, that's so good to hear. That, that really just makes me happy because for me, this is a movie that is really important to me based on when it came out, sort of what it was about. Um, in I terms wish of I had like seen this when themes. I was younger. Yeah. It, so it's, it's interesting. So I talked a couple of months ago about um, Raising Arizona, another Coen Brothers movie. Mm-hmm. And um, one of the things I liked about that movie, have you seen that one before? Yes. Okay. It's been a long time. But one of the things I like about it is Raising Arizona takes place in our world. Like it's it's very obviously, you know, the real world, but it's like this, right. this strangely stylized version of it where everything's just amped up a little bit. And it's like, it feels like our world, but then not. And the Coens do such a good job of that, whether it's Oh Brother, Where Art Thou and its style. This movie is very much early 1990s at Los Angeles, but then mm-hmm. it's like there's something about it that feels fantastical at the same time. And this, I try, I tried really hard not to make this connection, but it almost felt that the, the Coen brothers were doing Tarantino a little bit. There's a little of that in back. there. Well, you know what it was is um, um, they were Raymond Chandler novels were a big influence on this movie. You know, I I was gonna say that because I'm a fan of of Raymond Chandler and and noir stories. The Big Sleep being one of my favorites, mm-hmm. and I especially the the Bogart film is one of my favorite noir movies. Mm-hmm. But I kept I kept thinking when I was watching this, this this is this is framed like a detective story. Yeah, and I really like that it's kind of this lapsadaisical. It's not a parody. Like, no, no, it's not at just, all. It's this kind of story featuring just an insane carnival of characters mm-hmm. and i really love that i i have a soft spot for these labyrinthine tales about los angeles um david robert mitchell who did uh it follows uh did a film called uh under the silver lake that came out kind of unceremoniously a couple years ago mm-hmm. i've heard the title with, uh, i've never seen it it's got andrew garfield and um a couple of other decent names but it's it doesn't stick the landing but the journey is phenomenal and and in the same way like i feel like if you're in it for the plot the end of the of the the movie might disappoint some i could see mm-hmm. where some people are like oh you know that, that didn't feel really fulfilled but these kind of la stories are more about the journey you go on yeah I feel like yep it's exactly what i was going to say and and coen brothers movies especially do that really really well which is there's a plot there there's a story being told but you're not trying to get to the end of it to find something out. You're you're taking the journey with them, whether it is. And right. I've seen so many of their movies now, you know. And they, I mean, they came right out of the gate with Blood Simple, and uh, Miller's Crossing does that. Um, Fargo does that quite a bit, to be honest. Um, it's kind of got a I'm, weird. I'm gonna I'm gonna commit a little bit of sin here, though. I, I I'm gonna say I think the Fargo TV show is a little bit better than the movie. Well, it's able to stretch. It's not, out I know it's not fair. Me. I know it's not fair, but that, that that show is incredible. And and it's because I really feel that most of the time stories do better when you can let them breathe and give them more. And Fargo is one of those types of stories where 
there's so much there under the surface that you can explore. So I can see that totally. But like this movie, uh, another one that I've done not that long ago on this show, and I like it a lot, is Kiss Kiss Bang Bang, which was... um, Favorite Shane Black movie. Yeah, I mean, that's another one of those where it's like the plot is there. It's not awful. It doesn't matter. But it doesn't matter. That's not what you're there for. You're there for this journey of Downey Jr. and Val Kilmer going through this crazy noir world of L.A. So, yeah, that's... (laughs) The scene where he's like... um... Talking about the definition of idiot. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah. If you look up the word idiot in the dictionary, what are you going to see? A picture of me. No, the definition of idiot, which you effing are. Yeah. <laughs> I love that. But And that's what makes that's a- this movie work so well, is it's it's about these like crazy characters, right? I mean, Walter and Donnie and the dude themselves. Like, those three guys are just... There's so which, much... How are those guys even friends? <laughs> I know. It doesn't make any sense, does it? I mean... Like, Walter seems diametrically opposed to what the dude's all about <laughs> kind of yeah in fact there was a rumor or it was said somewhere along the line like early drafts of the script uh it was revealed that walter was actually never even in vietnam and that he just i was waiting for something like that to happen yeah and it, they they kind of skirted around that but at the same time i think it's better to leave it a little bit ambiguous and sort of make you think that he was and it's just because that final scene is where they spread Donnie's ashes, which look, I'm not even going to say spoilers because that's what this show does. So if you don't know, Donnie doesn't make it through the movie, which is a sad moment, but they spread Yeah, because his... he was kind of low key, my favorite character in the movie. Oh, absolutely. It's like Steve Buscemi being his most subtle. And honestly, like he's like the puppy dog of the film. Mm-hmm. He really is. But that moment where Walter dumps the ashes out and they end up on the dude you get this, you, you finally get the sense of like, oh, well, Walter's really bombastic. He's really loud, but he's also a sad guy at the same time. Mm-hmm. And, you know, he's dealing with a lot of PTSD from his time in Vietnam. So he's kind of a, a tragic character in that sense, too. And if you notice, and I didn't notice this until I was reading some stuff about it this time, and I've seen this movie a couple dozen times, probably. Walter will step up to and yell at basically anyone in the movie except for Quintana. John Turturro's character is the only one where he always talks about him kind of behind uh. his back. So it's almost he's almost like a bully type of character, but at the same time he's just very he's very like hurt inside. That's why he's, you know, he's still stuck on well, his and ex-wife you, and and you also get the feeling that the bowling team is all he has. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. And and I thought that about all those characters. And, and honestly, like, I was surprised how legitimately, once it kind of sunk in, because at first I was a little confused about whether or not Steve Buscemi's character, uh, Donnie, passed. I mm-hmm. I got really touched by it. I, and it's oh, weird yeah. because it, you, you, they don't do this big flowery scene about his death. Like, it, you don't even know he really passes until they kind of confirm it in conversation. And for whatever reason, and... I mean, it may, may be just because, you know, I recently dealt with Death in the Family too. Like, for whatever reason, that scene just really touched me. But I think it's because Steve Buscemi plays this this quiet character, which you don't usually get from him. He's usually playing this weird, quirky, you know. Yeah. Uh, always got some, like, zinger. Or if it's an Adam Sandler movie, he's got something outlandish to do. Yeah, and in um, this, he's very quiet, reserved, and he's just, he's there. In fact, 
the dude really only engages with him a couple of times in the entire movie. For the most part, he doesn't even engage with him, which is interesting. Right. Um, and but he's sort of the heart of the team because he's always there, and they foreshadow his passing uh, in the movie because it's the only time he doesn't bowl a strike because he's really the only one bowling out of the team through most of the movie. You yeah. see Walter you once. You never see him bowl. Yeah. <laughs> but the Jeff Bridges never bowls in the movie. I didn't even catch on to the fact that they were they're foreshadowing his death, but I also I, mean, I didn't know it was coming, so mm-hmm. it was hard for me to to say whether or not that was a, a foreshadowing. But not just that, but I also Sam Elliott's character is 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 something else. Oh yeah. Like is he supposed to be God or <laughs> or or what? So yeah, it's interesting because like all right, we'll go back and talk about a little bit about Raising Arizona. Raising Arizona has voiceover, but it's Nicolas Cage. It's H.I. Right. doing the voiceover. And this, so the films, let's see if I can find where it was that they, they talked about this. Um, uh, I, I don't have it. But basically, they wanted to have that same idea of sort of a narrator, but they wanted that narrator to be set outside of the world that they were building. So that's why they had Sam Elliott do The Stranger. And... Look, if you're going to have somebody narrate in your movie and you make it Sam Elliott, I'm I'm sold already. Like I did, you did can you do no see, wrong. Did you see the man who killed uh Hitler then Bigfoot? I did not, but that is on my list of something to see. It's it's not as amazing as you want it to be because uh, mm-hmm. that title with Sam Elliott in it evokes some pretty hardcore awesomeness, but it's still a pretty cool movie. I mean, yeah, I'm with you. You put Sam Elliott, especially as a, as a narrator and, and as a cowboy. Oh yeah. You know, but I like it too, I, because like he, he's, he's a narrator. He's sort of this omniscient narrator. And yet you get a, t- a sense for the tone of this film right away, because in his opening narration, he loses his train of thought and rambles and then has to like, catch that. himself and come back to it. Like, so immediately the movie starts off giving you an idea of what you're in for before you've seen more than one character. And I love that. And I, I I also think it, it makes sense to have the idea of this tumbleweed basically going through Los Angeles because it's just kind of rambling mm-hmm. and, and moving on. So I, I really like some of those visual cues, but for, for me, the entire time, it's no one else other than the bartender talks to Elliot, right? Yeah, it's just, just the dude and the bartender. And he just, there, especially that second time, he just seems to appear. Yeah. Like he is there. All of a sudden, like, like he apparated into that seat, and I, I'm okay with that in 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 the sense that I, I, I one I don't mind that they didn't tell us that you don't have to, mm-hmm. but for me the argument there that that Sam Elliott is is something of maybe he's not God but something otherworldly, or 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 something some, some sort of like maybe ethereal scribe or something yeah something it, it, it gives you questions and it makes you it makes you curious but at the same time like you don't have to have answers to them so yeah because I'm, I'm fine with that mm-hmm. i mean the movie ahead, is full ahead. of like crazy characters right from mm-hmm. i mean you start with the dude and you got walter but like julianne moore as maude lebowski which is way out there. And then on top of that, I this... have never seen her like even in evolution. Like I've never <laughs> seen her play such a character. Yes. You know? Yes. Very much a character. Um, and I did like too reading some uh, trivia that the Coens never really thought about the psychology of the fact that she wanted to have a child with somebody who had the same name as her father. 
Like that never occurred to them as something that was like a motivation. They were just like, oh, huh, that's weird. Yeah. <laughs> and I never thought about it either. Um, I, I honestly did not connect that dot <laughs> until you said something. Um, and we, we also get a, a early appearance by the Tara Reed. Yes. Yep. Tara Reed. Um, you know, David Huddleston is the big Lebowski, uh, who is just amazing. And Philip Seymour Hoffman as Brand. I mean, the, the cast in this just gets better the further you dig into it. Great. I mean, Philip Seymour Hoffman being great is not that surprising. There's very no. few things that he did that was bad. This is true. Uh, but, but Brandt is such an interesting time. character because he's he he's like both really on the ball and yet kind of doesn't really know aloof. quite what's going on at the same time. Yeah, aloof. Mm-hmm. That's a good way to put it. And he had a great laugh too. And I, I, I and I, I joked earlier about the Tara Reed, but I mean, I, I know she was playing kind of a superficial role, but I mean, she did it really well. And it kind of makes me wonder with certain actors. I mean, we know the kind of movies that she went on to do. Mm-hmm. You know, is it possible that it was just maybe a bad agent or something? You know, if she had continued doing movies like this, would we have seen better performances out of her? It's really hard to you say, know? though, because she's only on screen for like three minutes in the entire movie. That's that, and that's 100% fair. And I mean, the stuff that she did later doesn't exactly call you to act. So we don't really know. I mean, mm-hmm. what was it? Uh, Rat Race and right. um, uh, Road Trip, stuff like that. And you know, there's a lot of people in those movies that I like a lot. So, you know, and obviously she's gone on to do mostly direct video comedies and stuff now. Yeah. Or maybe homework movies. I can't remember. I'm not even sure but what she's doing anymore. I, she pops up. Uh, I think she was in that that Talking Hedgehog movie with Dean Cain or something. Talking Hedgehog. I, I don't know. It, doesn't, it, it, does, it, does, it does not matter. True. Um not not Sonic the Hedgehog, the good head, Hedgehog, but uh oh okay, oh Andy the some, Talking Hedgehog, there it is. Yeah, huh? It, 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 that was uh, Tara Reed. Yeah, she played the okay. fairy BFF. I don't even know what that awesome. movie is. Dean Cain and Tara Reed. Okay, Dean Cain. Ugh. Um, <laughs> exactly. But exactly. I mean, the further you dig into this cast, the the crazier it gets too, because you've got some of the the Coen brothers stalwarts, right? You got Peter Stormare, you've got mm-hmm. uh, John Turturro. He's and uh, Peter Stormare is great. Absolutely. I love him as the devil in Constantine. He's, yes, yes. He just eats that role up so much. He in that, I mean, he's great in Bad Boys too. He's got a, a mm-hmm. role in that, and he's had a ton of fun in it. What I liked about this was the character of Uli. Um, sort of got born out of when they were uh, when they were filming Fargo because he would talk with this fake German accent a lot, I guess, on set, and so he and the Coens kind of created, <laughs> you know, created that character. Um, plus, his uh, his adult film star name is great, Carl Hungus. <laughs> it's so. Hey, well, what was the porn name? Logjamming. Yeah, Logjamming was the movie. <laughs> um, and then Flea. Flea shows up being being Flea, getting to be yes, kooky being and Flea. crazy. Flea uh, always has the weirdest appearances. In, he in, really does in, in in video media because, like, he was also, I think, uh, the voice actor for Grunge in the unreleased Gen Thirteen animated movie. Oh, uh, I forgot about that, but you're right. Uh, that, that was one of those like things that I bought at a comic convention like early on. That 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 bootleg was floating around. <laughs> And well, I don't know why they didn't release it because it's not it's not 
mind blowing, but it's not bad. No. And like Mark Hamill plays Threshold. It was a fun little movie. I, uh, yeah, Fleet, Fleet always pops up in odd things. Yeah, this is actually the second movie for this show he's been on because he had a, a cameo appearance in Fear and Loathing in Las Vegas where he's the guy in the in the bathroom during one of the flashback scenes with uh, with Johnny yeah, Depp. Yeah. Um, Totoro, who's done a ton of Coen Brothers stuff. Yeah. As, and uh, the sequel. Yeah, yep. And then they, they did another. So he thought originally that his part was going to be bigger in this. And it wasn't, but the Coens kind of let him really uh, improv a lot of stuff. So like the the whole thing with like the Coke fingernail that he had on the one hand or the the shot where it shows them and they're buffing, they're shining their bowling ball. Like that was right. that was improved on, on set and his dancing and all of that. And uh, it's like it's a memorable character and he's basically in two shots and all he's doing in them is yelling at the other bowlers. Uh, but it's such a fun character, and and I I still need to see that sequel that follows him because I never I haven't. I almost like double featured it today, but I was like, nah, I, I gotta just stick this because I'll, I'll start. It might inform my opinion about other things, not yeah. knowing how little he's in this movie. Um, one of the th- one of the things I always love, and especially with these kind of noir stories, is how it always starts with something very simple, mm-hmm. like. He just wants to get compensated for his rug. That's the entire reason he, the, the, the dude is in this entire mess. Yep. And I, I love that. It's also weird that. Did we ever figure out why they singled him out? Was that the actual misunderstanding? So the misunderstanding was that Jackie Treehorn sends his goons to get money from Jeffrey Lebowski because of Bunny owing him money. And then he just has incompetent people. Yes, they're incompetent. Okay. They just went to the first Jeffrey Lebowski that they found and it happened to be the dude. Okay, so when they were then when they were unwinding everything, I was a little lost in, in that aspect. If, if that... I, I was looking for a reason for that to not be a, an accident. Mm-hmm. And so that being an accident makes everything make sense. And... <laughs> I love what you say. At least I'm housebroken. Yeah. Oh, it's just the dude is. I mean, talk about somebody who can just take anything and roll with it. Like it doesn't matter what mm-hmm. it is. You know, he's got that great line right in the middle where the guy's dunking his face into the toilet over and over, not giving him a chance to actually answer the question talk at all. And then he finally is like, "Where's the money?" He goes, "I think it's down there. Let me take another look." It's so good. And just shove I- his face back into the toilet water. Uh, I have a soft spot for for smart asses, and I have a yes. soft spot for these kind of characters. And I love. It's also why I love uh, the movie Brick by mm-hmm. Ryan Johnson. Yes, it's, it's. I'm a big Ryan Johnson fan anyway, but I love the. Uh, again, just being a noir fan, putting a 20s noir story in a modern high school setting instead of like what club are they going to? It's, like, it's who they who are they sit who do they sit with at lunch? You know. Yeah. And but he's still. And in that film, uses certain like twenties noirisms, like house tricks and stuff like that. Oh yeah, I I started saying that because of that movie. <laughs> so this uh, is. I always. Oh, go ahead. Oh, go ahead. I uh, know. I was just saying. I, I, I but I always I always love when, and it's the same with with almost any storytelling is when you have something very small that gradually grows bigger, like it, like an 
and like in any Japanese RPG, it's like, oh, the game starts off, find so-and-so's lost apple, which somehow leads you on a, a winding pathway to kill God. Yep, basically. You know? <laughs> so so I, I always love these kind of things, and especially in a movie like this, where it's so innocuous. Like, the dude's just trying to get, uh, you know, his rug replaced. Yeah, like, that's, that's it. That's all he wants. He wants. Yep, and then and... he gets like, oh, I can get 20 grand. And yeah, he's not going to say no to that. And then, oh, I can... I can get a million dollars. That's cool. Yeah. Like, yep. It's it's all like none of it makes any sense why it should happen at all. And then he thinks he's figured out this grand scheme, and it's really not that at all. That's the, the what's even greater is like he he builds it up to be so much more, and it's really just like this small little thing. And I kind of like that. I like that there's no like grand resolution to the big problem at hand. Uh, that they thought they were getting with like the whole embezzling from the foundation and all of that. Which, by the way, I'm wearing my. Uh, you can't see it on the video, but I'm wearing my little Lebowski, little Lebowski. Achiever shirt. Awesome. Um, but yeah, I, I like that a lot. Like, it, there's just so much to enjoy about this movie because as long as you kind of take it for what it is, which it is a, it is this Raymond Chandler esque noir thing set in early '90s uh, L.A where it's not about it's about the journey enjoy the characters because the characters are what make it and then there's these little touches that give you so much more you know one of the things i love there's two moments that for me just crack me up way more than they ever should and one of them is you have the scene everybody who watches this movie will remember the scene where john goodman pulls the gun in the um and you know yells at Smokey for being over the line and that's great my favorite part of that is the scene directly after that, which is the dude and Walter walking out to their car, still having the argument that they were having inside mm-hmm. and they get into the car and then you hear the cop car pull up behind them and the cops get out and run into the bowling alley because you yeah. hear Jeff Bridges say they're going to call the cops, man. And then they called the cops, but they just took off before the cops could get there. Like that for me is hilarious because they don't draw any attention to it. You can, you could almost miss it if you're not if you're just paying attention to the two guys talking, and it just cracks me up that they're just sitting there talking while the cops go bursting and guns drawn into the the bowling alley, and then there's another moment where they're at um, the dude's Marty's dance recital, um, his landlord's recital thing. Which I love that we actually got to see the dance recital. Yes. I was I was really happy about that. <laughs> yes, and then uh, but they're they're and in all there. All three of them came. Yeah, they're all there. Walter's laying out that he found Larry. And because he mentions In-N-Out Burger, that's all Donnie can now think about is going to the In-N-Out Burger. And and, and so... Afterwards, whether he, he's just quietly eating his burger that's, in the backseat. It's so great. Again, you follow up this really bombastic, loud, memorable scene of Walter beating that Corvette with the crowbar and yelling at Larry. And then it's just them driving and Walter silently eating a hamburger from in and out like it just that kind of stuff just slays me because it's so so good what i love about a lot of yeah yeah i I do love that none of this is resolved like did that kid even have the money like (laughs) who knows did we we ever find that out but one of the things i love and it, it didn't strike me until we started talking about it is we don't know the dude at all we know nothing about him Really? Yeah, you're right. 
Like, um, and, and, and people ask him questions about himself the entire time. What do you do for work? I mean, he's able to afford to live. Yeah, it's a small place, but a place in Los Angeles. Yeah. Which can't be cheap. And yeah, he's behind on rent. But like, we know nothing about him. We know nothing about his life. We, we, we get his dudisms. You know, we mm-hmm. get who he is in the moment of, of the, the journey that we were taken on. But I, I kind of love the fact that this is such an iconic movie and these characters are so memorable yet specifically the most important character in this movie. We don't know at all. No, we don't Now That was another thing where early drafts of the script had um, some references to the dude's income and how he had any money at all being unemployed. So I'm going to give you a chance to guess where you think his money came from. And I promise you, you won't get it. Go ahead and give me what you think the dude in an early draft of this script, what would have been his source of income? Uh, hmm. I don't know. And, um, and if you don't have a guess, that's fine. I can just tell you. But did he sell flowers on the interstate? <laughs> no. Um, so he was supposed to be an heir to or a descendant of the person that created the Rubik's Cube. And that's where his money came from was some sort of inheritance that. from that, which is really cool. But then the Coens were like, yeah, you know what? Let's just take that out and let it be completely ambiguous. But you're right. We don't know. I mean, we know as much as he tells people, which is basically he doesn't do much. He's very laid back. And he even mentions he doesn't remember much of his time from college. You know, we know he was a roadie for a little while for Metallica, um, which I guess Angry the guys, guys in Metallica. <laughs> yeah, I guess the, the guys in Metallica love that. They love that they were getting referenced. Oh, I'm sure like they that. do. Um, I, I do want to mention uh, that, that the chat has uh, popped in uh, and uh, Phelan talked about uh, Rat Race being a very fun movie, which it absolutely is. Oh, yeah. And that the Gen 13 movie can't be worse than the Generation X movie, which I can confirm. <laughs> uh, <laughs> being a defender of that awful, awful Fox uh, original movie uh, for, made for television, it's, yes. it's, it's rough. It is rough, uh, but it has Matt Frewer in it. And and then if you're gonna put Matt Frewer, oh in no, something, yeah, there's again, there's I'm, some good there's some good stuff in there, mm-hmm. and um, uh, Kit London uh, mentioned uh, one thing we haven't talked about, which is the iconic music. Oh. The use of the music in this film is so perfect. So again, when I when I talked at the top of the show about how this movie's opening credits take me back to my freshman year of college, it also takes me to my appreciation for some Bob Dylan. You got, uh, it has my favorite version of Hotel California that was ever recorded, it's which a is very cool version of that song. And I'm not a massive Eagles fan. I'm not either, uh, but that flamenco guitar Spanish version of Hotel California, I will crank the volume on that every time. I love that. That's the Gypsy Kings, by the way. Um, yeah, uh, very, very cool rendition of that song. And, um, it's it's so funny because when uh, I can't remember which song that it was, it was uh, the man in me by Bob Dylan. Yeah. I, I was like, I know this song, but how do I know this song? Cause I don't listen to a lot of Bob Dylan. Uh, and then I remembered, Oh, right. Newfound glory covered that song. with uh. Max Stevens to say anything further second from the screen to the stereo. And I was like, I was like, I know I know this song, but why do I know this song? Because I haven't seen this movie, um, and not being a a massive Dylan fan, mm-hmm. or not that I dislike Dylan, I just 
I haven't exposed myself to a ton of Dylan. Yeah. I was, I was, it was really bothering me why I could not remember how I did this song. I'm like, oh yeah, newfound glory because I'm cool. <laughs> you know, and another thing that the movie does really cool. So it's got a great soundtrack. It's got great music in it. But another thing that, yes. again, this is Coen Brothers and they do a lot of good music in their movies. I mean, they have an entire movie uh, that I talked about just a, like a month and a half ago. Oh brother, where art thou? Then the music is just killer throughout the whole thing. The Man of Constant Sorrow is like I think that was like the the one bluegrass song that was on like mainstream radio. Oh yeah, absolutely. Um, but all the music in this movie is also diegetic, which I really think is cool. Whether it's in a dream sequence or it starts mm-hmm. off as non diegetic music, it ends up being that. And and for those of you that don't know that term, what that means is that the music is actually playing to the characters in the movie at the same time. So the opening of the movie has this music playing while you're getting Sam Elliott's um, talk. But then if you listen, it's the same music that's playing in the Ralph's grocery store while the dude is getting half and half that's playing on the store's PA system. And when the Hotel California song plays over the introduction of the character of Jesus, then it's playing in the bowling alley as the the scene transitions. That happens throughout the entire movie, even even when the song is in a dream sequence that the dude is having, he wakes up to it and it's playing on a radio or it's playing in headphones as he's listening to it, which is just a, it's again, it's another one of those small touches that they do that just makes the world feel more alive to me. Yeah. And, and this, I think one of those movies that like makes me really appreciate the Coen brothers. I'm much to the chagrin of a lot of my like film buddies uh, I have I have some some friends that do a film podcast called Cinema Shock, and it annoys them to no end that I don't worship at the altar of the Coen Brothers. And I think I just I always have a little bit of resistance to the idea of sacred cows in general. Mm. Yeah, um, no, I get that. But that said, I mean, I, I think this movie is is beautifully crafted. I mean, this movie is. Uh, I think just Larry Cohen directed this, right? Uh, well, so Joel Joel directed it, and Ethan sorry, Joel. Yeah. yeah, and Ethan co-directed it, but uncredited at the time. Like a lot of their early stuff is yeah, all where did you get Larry from. Uh, Larry's another Cohen, but he's not related to them. Um, and I okay, think he's a that's, writer. That's what it was. But uh, early on, a lot of their stuff would be Joel Cohen directed with Ethan producing. But they both are doing both, both jobs. Right. They just. By, by rules in the Directors Guild, they could only have one director at the time. It's changed for them since then. They can say Cohen Brothers, but typically Joel right. gets the, the one credit and Ethan gets the other, and then they both have writing credit. Okay. I um, I yeah. think this movie is exceptionally crafted. I, I Again, I really love that tumbleweed uh, scene at the very beginning of the film. Oh, yeah. I think it just really... It ties the room together with with, with with the way that this film ends with Sam Elliott like talking to the camera, which is a great switch. He's in the scene mm-hmm. and then his eyes kind of flip to the camera. It's such a beautiful way of telling you the story's over. Yep. Absolutely. I, I I gotta say, I I I I get the hype of these guys behind and I mean I've seen Fargo and, and, and a number of their films. It's just for whatever reason, I'm always a little resistant with some of these, you know, pedestals that, that some, some creators are put on. Well, when you, know? you get, and when you get somebody, yeah. When you get a, a filmmaker, that's that everybody talks about how great they are. And if you mm-hmm. haven't seen it yet, 
I think I know I sometimes I remember when I first so the first time I saw Brick, you brought that up and I love I am a Ryan Johnson fan. But the first time I saw Brick, I came away from it like eh it's, old. it's okay, but I don't see what all the fuss is about because it had been so built up by a few of my friends so much before I saw it. Absolutely there was no way it could that. ever meet those expectations. And I think that can happen with somebody like Coen Brothers, especially now you're you're 22 years after this movie, which was right. 10 plus years into their career where they had already done Blood Simple, Raising Arizona, Fargo, Barton Fink, Hudsucker Proxy before they did this, that that for film people and film buffs, they're going to be, you know, all about all this Coen Brothers stuff. And then they do this and they keep going. So I can, I can understand that completely. Um, but yeah, you, you mentioned how it's just beautifully crafted and it really is. And this was an early one for them, or this was, I guess, a couple movies into them working with Roger Deakins as their director of photography, which by the mm-hmm. way, if you ever want a really impressive IMDB list to look at, go look at that dude's director of photography credits because they're insane. Um, but Deacons had this really cool idea of like the way that he shoots things and he works so well with the Coens that you wouldn't realize that it's the same director of photography that did Oh Brother Where Art Thou and the Big Lebowski and Fargo and the Hudsucker Proxy. Which I'm a big fan of. Blade Runner 2049. You've got uh, Kundun, which uh, if you haven't seen Kundun, that is a movie that's got some crazy cinematography in it. Um, Shawshank Redemption he did you know I mean this guy just just hit after hit and like stuff and, and yeah. it's got it's got this great mix of styles too you've got something like Kundun you've got something like um, Courage Under Fire that are these big sweeping type of things and then Fargo is like this little tiny movie and it, well, so it's even, just especially talking about cinematography like even Jarhead the way that, that with the way that movie is shot oh yeah is exceptional and i'm not the biggest sam mendes fan but that movie is gorgeously shot in in the story it's trying to tell and and to bring it back to well two things we were talking about uh with the big lebowski i i'm a sucker for for movies that are exceptionally blocked and i think this mm-hmm. movie is insanely blocked the only other uh friend of friends that has i have to a movie that i think is is perfectly blocked is the the second ryan johnson film uh, the brothers bloom Mm. I think that film you could pause at any moment in that movie and put that that picture on the wall and it would tell a story. That that yes. that movie is so beautifully blocked. And and to a similar degree, this one is too. Like even from moments when they're in the car and just how everyone's body language is moving. The scene with, with the hamburgers where Donnie's just kind of chomping on his burger, but you can feel the tension between um the dude. And, and Walter, oh, uh, yeah. Walker, Walter, yeah, it's it's beautifully shot, beautifully blocked. Like I, it's 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 fun for me. The I think the, it's the most fun for me because I am. I was worried that I was going to come out of this experience being like, yeah, that's good. I just don't really. I, I'm not as excited about it as everyone else is because <laughs> I, I I I have a reputation sometimes amongst my friends. One for loving everything, but also for some of these types of movies being a little less enthusiastic. Mm-hmm. But I did walk out of this being like, man, I really wish I had seen this 20 years ago. Like, I, I really wish that I had these characters in my life and that this movie was more of a ritual for me. Yeah. That it has become for so many other people. 
And I mean, it's going to be from 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 this point forward. I think this movie is. I mean, it ticks so many boxes for me, and it's such a weird movie. It is. And it's weird. It's weird without being like David Lynch weird. You yes. know, that is a good point because you can have it's, like David Lynch weird is a whole different surrealistic level. This is like quirky. Yeah, and I, I'm a sucker for quirky, but I'm also. Yeah, you can't a Raymond Chandler esque noir story with this hippie burnout as the as as the Philip Marlowe character basically. Mm-hmm. Yeah, is I mean, it's <laughs> just like even trying to talk about it makes me laugh. Uh, and someone someone brought up that uh, they they were curious uh, about how they became friends. Was it just over bowling? Which is kind of. I would, I would imagine so. I mean, the, the, all three of those characters are so, so different. Like, yeah. I can see the dude being friends with Donnie. Mm-hmm. Donnie seems pretty chill. Oh yeah. Even though we don't see him interact, but Walter, I, I would like to know how those guys became friends. <laughs> I want to know the story there. How did, how did you I, two I, become? I almost want to bet that all three of them were kicked out of so many other bowling teams that those, <laughs> they were the only three that could like, you know, function together. Like it was just, you know, perfect chaos. And that's how they became friends. That would be, that would be amazing. Um, all right. So I have a couple of trivia bits I got to talk about. Cause some of these are just, all right, brilliant. Let's do it. so first of all, F bombs are dropped in this movie 292 times. There's a, there's a whole lot of F bombs going on in this one. Um, which I found really interesting. Cause y- y- like when I was younger and I would think about this movie, I never thought about it as being as sweary as it is. But now when I watch it, it's like, you can't not tell that just you don't think about it, but Sam Elliott makes a comment about it. Yes. Yes. And that is great. Where <laughs> he makes the comment about it and, <laughs> and the, so much. Yeah. And the dude's reaction to it is perfect. Like, you know, it's just what, what do you, what the F do you mean? Like, I like that. Uh, also the mm-hmm. word, uh, je- the dude says, man, 147 times in this movie, which is roughly one and a half times per minute uh, of the film. <laughs> so that's another one of those that's, that's really great. Um, Jeff Bridges would ask the Coens before they would shoot a scene. He would come up to him and be like, hey, do you think the dude would have burned one down on the way over here? And if the Coens said yes, he would go and he would rub his eyes. And so they got all bloodshot and then do the scene that way. And like, that's so great. I mean... It, it yes. adds a layer to that character because now, and most of the movie, he looks like that. But um, this is a character who literally, while this, while he's sitting in this guy's study and the man is in front of a fire crying, he's just like, hey, do you mind if I do a J? And lights up. So you can totally see that. So I just, I liked that little touch. That's a, that's a very Jeff Bridges thing to do. Uh Oh, okay. So this one I thought was cool. And I actually, I wrote a note to myself about this before I started reading trivia. So dude meets a lot of people in this movie and there's so many characters Mm -hmm. that call him Mr. Lebowski and Jeffrey and all that. There's only four people that are kind of outside of his tribe that aren't Walter, that aren't Donnie, that aren't Smokey or um, the bartender. There's only four people that call him dude. And I noticed that it was that was one of the things with Brant is Brant very quickly starts calling him dude. Um, Sam Elliott, the stranger, uh, right. Jackie Treehorn and the bartender. And like with Brant, yeah. what I thought was cool and the stranger, uh, Sam Elliott's character is it's this like respect for him as that's what he wants to be called. And so even though 
Like the big Lebowski is always calling him Mr. Lebowski. Maude is calling him Jeffrey. He always wants everyone to call him dude. And like Brandt immediately embraces that. And I thought that was just cool. It's like a nice little, it's, it's again, that's a that's yeah. storytelling shorthand of like, this is a character that gets the dude enough to call him that. Well, with Brandt, it's interesting is, is, is he, does he get the dude or is he just being a guest man? Cause he, he's also like basically a butler and it's like, I want to be called this. And he has it instilled in his brain that like, Oh, if someone has a preference, I will, res- I will respond to that. That's a good point. Um, with, with, with with the bartender, I, I, I totally see it with, with whatever Sam Elliott is. I also <laughs> see it because Sam Elliott could also just be a reflection of the dude himself. He could just be like this, something that the, the dude sees. And this is the dude's story told by the dude, but not actually the dude, that because be. that wouldn't be dude. Like, you know, um, very undude. Another yeah. One of my and, favorite uh, lines. <laughs> it does. Uh, oh, you said outside of his his group of people. Yeah, because I mean, and, Donnie. Yeah, uh, Treehorn. Yeah, Treehorn does too. Because uh, the sheriff of Malibu doesn't calls him Lebowski. Um, yeah. And and so that was the Treehorn was the one that I think was probably the most interesting to me. Like I get, I get Brant, and I got it for a different reason. But him being a yes man, that's a good point. Um, the stranger calling him dude sort of makes sense because. Mm-hmm. It sounds weird to him as a cowboy for somebody to self-identify as dude, but at the same time, like he gets it. Uh, mm-hmm. But Treehorn immediately calls him dude from the from the get-go. He never calls him Lebowski, and like that was a character that isn't in the movie. I think enough. We just hear his name for the most part. So I I agree, but and he and this is kind of with the the Raymond Chandler stuff. There's always a character who's kind of on the outskirts, but really doesn't have a main role. Like you think, oh, this person's going to be the big bad. They're going to be the problem. And it's usually, yeah, you can tell they're not a good person, but mm-hmm. they're not part of the story the way yeah. we think they are. Yep, and it's a bummer true. because Treehorn is really interesting. And you can tell the two actors, they, they had this weird rapport. Like, <laughs> it, really especially did. the way that that scene was was blocked and uh, the way those two guys were delivering lines. I love that scene. Mm-hmm. And I remember being kind of like, why did he bother drugging him? Like, yeah. it almost didn't make sense for him. I mean, one, he was half drunk anyway. True. And uh, I mean, again, it's one of those things that are like, you know, we can talk about, but there's not really any point in trying to needle is like oh what was the what was the the meaning behind this decision because it frankly doesn't matter that's yeah again that comes back to what we were talking about it's not it's the journey that you're on that's important yeah um it's just a ride and that's dudism (laughs) definitely uh a couple other things so did you notice the poster on the dude's wall when he's on the he's making a drink and he's listening to his messages and there's that poster it's richard Nixon. knocked down yeah Yeah, it's it's nixon Nixon. bowling and what i love about that is the dude doesn't care that it's Richard Nixon necessarily. Like, because if you think about it as a counterculture kind of guy that he would have been in the seventies, like he wouldn't have been a Nixon fan. Exactly. But it's because Nixon's bowling and he's wearing a bowling shirt. That's why he's like, that's just who the dude is. He would have that picture because it's a guy bowling. It just happens to be Richard Nixon. Um, and I thought that was just funny as all hell. Um, and, uh, Oh, Okay. So we mentioned the scene where Walter beats the hell out of the Corvette with the crowbar. Yes. And 
so that scene has one of the greatest ADR loops for cable I've ever heard in my life. And I didn't get a chance. I couldn't find a good enough audio clip of it to capture. I just didn't have enough time. But what he says in the ADR, and this is what would play when it would play on cable TV, is this is what happens, Larry, when you find a stranger in the Alps. And he yells that over and over. It is so jarring to hear that for the first time. I love that. But it's amazing. <laughs> so, yeah, that was like there's a lot of lines in this movie that I quote regularly. Um, when I'm, you know, again, I mentioned my freshman year of college. That was one of our things. A Saturday night would hit and it would just be like, let's go bowling. Um, and we would say the whole line, but um, find a stranger in the Alps is one of those that does it. Obviously, the dude abides. Um, so. it's 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 that is the one line that I knew prior is is, is it, it permeates through culture. It's a I, I'm honestly I'm surprised that this that more of this movie wasn't ruined for me uh, as someone who hadn't and and keeps up with movies and stuff. I mm-hmm. for whatever reason maybe because I just I with certain movies I have just like white noise Could and be. I I just I've never absorbed anything from this film and I'm, I'm a little surprised especially with like the friends that i have and the the film groups that i've, I've you know hung out with nothing from this movie has been spoiled for me no i wonder not, too not, i do wonder if some of that plays into what we've been talking about where it's like it's about the journey and it's about the characters and not a story or a plot that can be spoiled for you because really that's true with the exception of what happens to donnie Nothing else of substance happens in this movie that could be spoiled for you. You could say, oh, well, you know, the the wife character of Bunny is kidnapped, but she's not really kidnapped. And it turns out she just ran yeah. off. doesn't matter. And it doesn't change anything. In this, like nothing in this movie changes the outcome and the end of the film except for Donnie. So and, and while, while, it, while it might be easy to be disappointed if you are looking for a Chandler-esque story. I think a dude Chandler-esque story could have only ended with, oh yeah, she just went, she went to Palm Springs for the week. Yeah, you know, oh, absolutely. I, I love, the, I honestly, I love that that's the ending. I love that there's not, it's a comedy of errors. There's not a vast conspiracy. Everyone is just supremely incompetent and they mm-hmm. sent this one dude out on this this wild goose chase and i think that's what makes this movie work so well for me is not only are they doing a chandler-esque story but they're not doing a take on it they're not doing a modern version of raymond chandler they are and they're not parroting it either it's what happens when this kind of story is just completely ridiculous and nonsensical and i i love that about this movie i love this movie is almost about nothing yeah basically and it takes a deft hand to be able to do that and it not feel cheap, right? Because you could make a movie right. that that has those that structure and that skeleton, but then it really doesn't have the meat on the bones and it just feels, it falls flat. It doesn't feel right. And a lot of lesser movies do that. But this just, it's the combination of the writing of Ethan and Joel Cohen and then their directing mm-hmm. style you get Roger Deakins shooting it, and the two the that pairing right there of the Coens and Deakins works so well together 
And then on top of that, it's cast just immaculately. John Goodman has gone on record as saying this is one of his favorite movies to act in. Like he had the most fun doing. And it's hell he's having a blast. Yeah. He's you just, can always tell when John Goodman's having fun. <laughs> yes. And, and this movie is full of people that I will watch in anything. Jeff Bridges, you put him in a movie, I'm mm-hmm. gonna I'm gonna wanna watch it. John Goodman, I wanna watch it. I, I've said it a few times on this show. I went and saw Coyote Ugly in theaters. Largely because I knew John Goodman was playing a part in it. Now, not completely. And I, I saw Captive State, and I think I was one of ten people that saw <laughs> Captive State in theaters, which also really good science fiction movie. But nobody saw it. It's a it's truly a bummer. But yeah, because of John Goodman. Yeah, I mean, I, he's definitely he's definitely one of those for me. And then Steve Buscemi, I will watch anything he's in. I love seeing him show yeah. up and stuff because he's just great. Philip Seymour Hoffman can. I mean. I honestly, even when he's in something that's that's just kind of garbage, like Twister is not a good film, but it's a fun movie, and he's fun, fun in it. Um, I'm not expecting high art from Twister. No, neither am I. Uh, Peter Stormare, uh, we that, talked that put, about. Like that puts us on a whole other conversation about disaster films, which I I, yes. I I've gone through a journey. I've, I've been writing a, a thing for I think it might be the more inner blog or medium or something. I I went through a disaster film journey this year. Ooh. It for whatever reason can't imagine why uh the end of the world was on my mind and it started off with like simple stuff like uh airplane 1979 Mm, and uh like the classic disaster film but then more of the world ending stuff and i it's interesting because you can also trace where things were in film at the time and I, i i i started because you know both of us are similar in age and we grew up at a time where you know you had Roland Emmerich and the Michael Bay and where disaster movies were like, yeah, we'll go watch something blow up, I guess. Yeah, but sure. <laughs> you're not getting anything from it. Whereas before disaster movies were like, yeah, we're just going to put every amazing person that you like in a film and make a real drama out of it. And, you know, yeah. And we're going to showcase some special effects. It wasn't just, all right, let's, uh, let's watch the world's biggest tidal wave somehow wipe out St. Louis yeah. for whatever reason. <laughs> That's a good point. Um, um, but I, with 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 the Coens, and I, I did read a little bit. You know, they wrote this at the same time as Barton Fink, mm-hmm. and so I, some of the the themes seem similar. Yeah, I think with this one, there is a. I almost want to say they were in a dude state of mind because there is something relaxing about the way. As 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 meticulous as everything about this film is in terms of how it's shot and how it's blocked, there is a flow to this movie that is very easygoing. Mm-hmm. It's not as frenetic and tight and cut 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 like Pulp Fiction is. Yeah, like it's it's not trying to trick you. It's it's not trying to send you for a loop to loop. It's just taking you for a ride, man. And yeah. that's like, yeah. It. It, this feels like. This feels like the opposite side of the coin from a Pulp Fiction. Like, you're going to tell this sort of early 90s L.A. Chandler-esque story where you're following these interesting characters, and you have two ways you can do that. One is going to be a Tarantino style, and one is going to be a Coen Brothers style. And this sort of, they they mirror, they, mm-hmm. they funhouse mirror each other. Oh, where, I, I agree completely. Yeah. And... Uh, yeah, that makes me kind of want to, want to revise what I was saying at the top of the show where I was like, oh, yeah, it's kind of a Coen's doing sort of a Tarantino type thing, but it's it's just it's 
that kind of story through a different lens. Yes. I feel like I like this lens more. I like Pulp Fiction. I think it's a very good movie. I don't like it as much as it is popular. It's not my favorite Tarantino movie. No, it's not um, my personally. favorite, but. And honestly, the last 15 minutes of <laughs> Once Upon a Time in Hollywood are some of my favorite Tarantino moments. Oh, man. With Brad Pitt being Brad Pitt. Yep. I got to watch that one again because I've seen it, but I want to watch it again and just take more in. Yeah. Um, Oh, I did want to mention too, like a couple of small parts in this, and and the Coens are so good at doing these little parts where you're like, oh, it's that guy, and then that that guy goes on to have a, a bigger career, or he's been in a bunch of stuff, and he's just they find the right character actors. Mm-hmm. David Thewlis as Knox Harrington, small little role where he's just sitting in Maud's uh, room with her. David Thewlis, who would um, I remember yeah. from Dragonheart, and he was he's been in a ton of stuff. I just always think of okay, him from Dragonheart. Okay, I, I, I kept calling him not uh, John Waters. <laughs> yes. Well, he, he has a very John Waters look to him in this movie, for sure. Yeah. Um, a, a lot of people, Harry Potter fans, are going to know him as uh, Lupin, um, Professor Lupin in the Harry Potter films. And he's great. He's, it's a, one of those where it's a character actor. You throw him into a small role like that, and it's just he just gets to have fun for a day. And then um, Dom Herrera as the chauffeur who's in one scene and he basically just gets to be kind of this loudmouth New York cabbie style chauffeur just cracked me up. And is he, wait, um, there's he's one, the one, there's one cabbie that, that was Ron Jeet and how I met your mother. Uh, ooh, doo, 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 doo. I'm not sure if that was him or he not. He was always, he was always their cab driver in, um, how I met your mother. Uh, I don't, Oh no 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 no! He plays the I think the um, no no that's right. It's not him then, because I don't see him listed for How I Met Your Mother. Um, but I, I, I you know what I, I might have watched something else entirely before <laughs> watching the Big Lebowski that I was in. Uh, but uh, the one person that I have seen a bunch of stuff is the guy that plays I can't remember his name. I'm sorry. Um, the other detective. Oh, Defino. Um, that's John Polito. Yes, and uh, yes. He's Gideon in the Crow. That's exactly what I was going to say. He's Gideon in the Crow. He did an episode. I remember him in an episode of The Pretender. Um, he's another one of those character actors, and because he often has that real gravelly voice, you just you remember him. Yeah, he 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 kind of looks like not Bob Hoskins. Yes, it's like if Bob <laughs> Hoskins and um and uh, uh, Danny DeVito had sort of a love child, you would get yes. John Polito. Um, um, and I, I like John Polito, and yeah, it, it was fun seeing him show up. I'm trying to remember. I saw the actor that played Runji in. It might have been this movie. I'll have to look. Um, because it's it, it's a very small role, mm-hmm. and might have been. I don't know. <laughs> it, it, it doesn't matter. <laughs> yeah, sadly, sadly, John Polito passed away in 2016. Um, oh. Which is a bummer because he was one of those he's one of those guys that was just always fun to see show up in something, whether it was a an episode of Seinfeld or um but I loved I mean, I will never forget him in The Crow as Gideon. It's that's yeah. a memorable role for me in that movie. Uh, full of well, memorable parts. And I I remember watching him in uh it's in Homicide, right? Life on the Street. Yeah. Yep. Um because I that would come on I think on some channel 
late at night because uh, I just remember staying at my grandmother's house because she would watch that and in the heat of the night. Oh yeah, <laughs> all the time. And they, oh yeah, some some Raven Channel had them on back to back long after they went off the air in terms of new episodes. Mm. But uh, yeah, the Crow is as Gideon, and that that is for whatever reason because another well, that's a standout part, but like everything about that movie stand out for me. So uh, that's a well, that was another long one. That- time to- yeah, that was another one that came along like at the perfect time for our age to be very mm-hmm. impressionable and memorable. Like it left that lasting impression. All those characters. I was just talking about uh, the movie Hackers on another. I did a guest spot on a show talking about <laughs> Hackers and like Paul Cook. Um, in that movie, uh, mm-hmm. that's his character's name. I can't think of his name now. Um, but he, you know, he was, um, he was uh, Tintin. Lord Nikon and hackers is Tintin in the crow. Right. And it was making that connection of like, I remember him from those two movies because they were such different characters, but they came along at just the right time. And you know, that's what happens. I mean, that's why I can remember like when I think of Jeff Bridges, I think of the big Lebowski, even though, as I said, he did Tron, which is a movie that you and I have talked about and had a big mm-hmm. impact on me. And I, he did Starman, He did all this stuff, but I think of him as the dude. Or I think of, I've I've probably watched, yeah, well, and I've probably watched every episode of Roseanne because we watched that a lot growing up, but I still think of John Goodman as Walter to me because of when I saw this. I'm trying to think what I, I've got some random ones with uh, (laughs) John Goodman, Uh, King Ralph for one. Oh, that's a good one. Um, well, and that was just because my dad's name was Ralph, and mm. he took me to that movie as a kid just because I I knew the title. I knew nothing <laughs> about else about the movie, and enjoyed that. I mean, J- John Goodman. It's it's hard for me to to nail one character down for him. I mean, obviously, Roseanne was a massive impact on me, mm-hmm. and I mean, and he's still good in that show. He's uh, but season three of The Connors is on now, and yeah, he's still right. fantastic in that show. Um. But uh, he's one of those guys, like you said earlier, you know, if he's in a movie, I'm generally going to want to tune in at some point in time. Maybe not in the theater, especially not now. But, yeah. you know, I, I I went and saw Captive State, you know. Yeah. I saw 10 Cloverfield Lane because I'm a Cloverfield fanatic and I've written like 1,500 words on the connection of the entire series before. So. <laughs> nice. I I was listening to that anyway. <laughs> but I think, I, I, think, I think you're right. Everyone in this movie... I think it's just kind of a magic moment in time. I, yeah. I think everyone in this film is is fantastic and also went on to do really good things. I think that this movie, I think, strikes a chord with people because I know I made the, the joke about film bro movies earlier, but mm-hmm. this film is so unassuming. It is not a film. And like it's a film you can pick apart, but it's also a film that invites you to enjoy it. And, yes. and a lot of films of that ilk do not do that. You can watch this movie surface level and have an enjoy like a great time. You can also watch this movie, have a couple beers with some friends, and pick this movie apart and have a, a massive philosophical discussion about it. And I think that's what's so beautiful about the Big Lebowski is it's so unpretentious yes for a movie that says so much about so many things that is a perfect way to put it because a a film like this can get pretentious and i think like when i said 
when I was talking about uh, Brick earlier, I think that was my first thought or my first, my initial gut reaction was it's not as good as I thought it was going to be because it was built up so much and it felt pretentious at the time. Now, I've mm-hmm. softened that stance quite a bit as I've gotten to appreciate Ryan Johnson as a director more. Um, mm-hmm. But it definitely felt like that at first. The big Lebowski, what it has is it has approachability. Oh, yeah. And then on top of that, there's like there's so many more layers to it. And that's what makes the Coens, I think. You mentioned you don't like to have sacred cows. And, and I agree with you on that. Like it's I have a lot. I, I'm I'm like you. I'm the type of person that likes just about everything. And there are certain directors that I feel like usually do a good job. Now, not everything the Coens have made is perfect. Um, I feel the same way with like I mean, Ridley Scott, but but they do. How much time so, have? <laughs> <laughs> but they like the Coens do so well so often that even their their lesser films still feel like they are probably better than they have any right to be. You know, the Lady Killers is better and more enjoyable than it should be based on what it is. But it's right. that it's something with the Coens. It's it's like taking um you know a, a movie like Fargo has no right to be as good as it is, but because of the care that they put into it and the the filmmaking craft that went into that movie, it's a Oscar-worthy thing and now it's spun off a series that's arguably better than the movie was. So yeah. Uh, and I mean I I, I, part, part of the time I do it just to annoy certain friends of mine because th- they do have sacred cows mm-hmm. and it really, really bothers them that I have certain opinions about certain movies that are considered to be some of the best of all time. I not a massive fan of Kubrick's The Shining, but I was a Stephen King fan first. I read the book when it was one of the first Stephen King books I read when I was in like sixth grade. So when I saw the movie, as a kid, I was like, "This isn't this isn't what I read." Mm-hmm. I can, as an adult, I can appreciate the craft that went into that film, but I still personally do not like it. I don't enjoy watching it. I think it's an interesting movie to watch on its own merit, but as a Stephen King fan and a fan of that story, it's just, it's just not not for me. And that's I think that's fine because I'm not trying to, you know, whiz in anyone's Cheerios. You right, know, and I'm, well- I'm not saying. Yeah, and also like Yeah, and also you have a very valid reason for it. If you hadn't read that book prior to seeing that movie, oh yeah, you're gonna have a very different experience watching that movie. Now, I don't think that I love The Shining, um, and I'm a Kubrick fan, but I don't think it's his best movie by far. Like, if I'm gonna pick a favorite Kubrick movie, give me Doctor Strangelove ten times out of ten. I love that. There's just something about Doctor Strangelove that that just resonates with me. Um, and I would I would almost even pick 2001 because while it is not an enjoyable movie to watch, I think it is an important science fiction film to watch. Yes. In in, in what it does and the the visual communication that it has. It is not my favorite. And I, I worked as a, a science fiction TA for uh, Wofford College for uh, my second year there because uh, they had put together this really cool thing for freshmen mm-hmm. which they would take an english class and a science class and in the english class you'd read hard sci-fi and then you do a physics 101 class and do the science of the fiction that you read and then they would occasionally watch movies and so i had gotten close to both those teachers my freshman year so they asked me to be a ta and they asked me what movies to cut what movies to to add and you know, they said, I know you had some some thoughts about 2001. I said, no, I think this is a movie that, that especially if you're doing science fiction, everyone at least needs to see. 
Yeah. You don't have to like it. But I think that, and I think I feel this about film in general. You don't have to like something to respect something. Oh, absolutely. And while I do give my, I do, you know, troll my friends. Uh, <laughs> most, most of the things that I don't personally like are still things I respect. Like mm-hmm. I'll go on record and talk about how much I dislike Eraserhead. I still respect the film and I just respect David Lynch quite, a, quite a bit, but it's, well, it's definitely not my favorite uh, Lynch film, but I think that if you're going to look into, especially on the mainstream side of surreal film, you gotta, you gotta watch that film. Oh, it, absolutely. Absolutely. I mean, and, like, like coming, kind of coming back to Coen brothers in a way, this is my favorite Coen brothers film hands down. And, and I am definitely mine. I am a fan of their their filmography. I've gone to Coen Brothers marathons at our local theater where they'd show three, four of their movies for a Sunday. You pay like twenty five dollars and just I just sit in the balcony of the theater and watch Coen Brothers movies all day. You ask me, I mean, anybody ask me, this is my favorite Coen Brothers film. I don't think that it is their best film because I think those are two different things. They are. Right. And they 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 matured as filmmakers and storytellers to a point where they were telling they were they were making just I mean, I've seen True Grit and No Country for Old Men, and those are arguably better films, but this one is more enjoyable for me. And I will watch either one of those movies any time of the day. I mean, it, I've also uh, uh... I'm an avid fan of trash. I mean, I'm wearing a three ninjas shirt in, <laughs> in a parody of Halloween three. Uh, if you look behind me, you see a bunch of, of, I mean, pop culture media. I I'm a big fan of, of movies that are arguably not good. Mm-hmm. And, and I, I have a, a very, very soft spot for those things. But when we're talking about, favorite versus best that's always a that's always a tough one for me uh, i have always like when people ask me like okay, what were the 10 best movies of the year i'm like well i'll tell you the 10 my 10 favorite movies because yeah. i feel like i feel like when you argue the 10 best movies of the year you're 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 just asking for a debate and it's often a very exhausting debate like if it's among friends it can be engaging and and you know if you and i were talking about well, what we thought the best film of this year was which would be quite a conversation um <laughs> boy would it uh you know we, we would probably have two different very things but if you ask me what my favorite movie was mm-hmm. that may not be the what i would consider the best movie i think the best movie i saw this year i think i recently changed but weirdly enough amazon's troop zero was like blew me away hmm. but my favorite movie this year was underwater the Kristen stewart aquatic horror movie <laughs> like that movie was a blast and I had so much fun with that movie. It's legitimately one of my favorite movies I saw this year. I am not going to sit there and argue that it's the best movie I saw this year because that that, that that's not a thing. Yeah, no, <laughs> you're right. And I've had this debate with people a lot, so I don't want to belabor it too much. But, you know, best versus favorite. One of the things I like about that is when I say something is my favorite, I'm saying that's what I like. But mm-hmm. when I say something is the best, I'm trying. It, it almost feels like I'm telling you what you should like, and I yeah. And I I don't like feeling like I'll say certain things are the best, but I usually mean them in a in like I a craft in a, in a in a yeah in like a filmmaking right. sense, you know. 
oh, this has just the way it tells a story is is super engaging. And part of that is I want to have the conversation. I don't want to have a debate over what's better. I want to have the conversation about, well, okay, so I like this. Why didn't you? Or what makes this feel like one of the best films you've seen this year? That kind of stuff. So Yeah, and I, I had a conversation with a, a buddy of ours uh, and one of the old co-hosts of The More You Nerd. He watched Halloween for the first time this year, and he knew that's one of my favorite movies of all time. Not mm-hmm. just horror movies. It's one of my favorite movies of all time. I think it's... It is one of the one. Of, it's again hard to say the best, but I mean, it's it. It was a defining slasher film, a, def, a defining horror film. Yes. And uh, John Carpenter is one of those directors who I typically like everything they do, with the exception of maybe one or two films. Mm-hmm. And he said it didn't hold up for him, or it didn't age well, or something like that. Because I don't know how it didn't hold up because he had never seen it before. <laughs> and. Yeah. It, you know, we just came out of Halloween, so mm-hmm. I was like, well, I don't know if I agree with that. He's like, well, I know you don't, but that, that was the end <laughs> of the conversation. He just didn't want to have a conversation about it, and I was kind of bummed because I was like, well, what didn't work for you? Because when we talk about movies, and this is going to happen more and more, the older both of us get and the longer we, you know, we're, we, we've just basically left the first century of film, mm-hmm. you know? Yeah, pretty much. Uh, and what we're going to see more and more is that, yes. You know, you might hold something to a certain standard or value, but that doesn't always mean anything now. If you've watched horror movies your entire life and hadn't seen Halloween, it's it's trope city. You right. know, it even even though you can say, oh, well, it established all this stuff. This was the first one to do some of these things. It doesn't matter because a modern viewer has already seen it. And most of them don't care mm-hmm. how well crafted it is or if it was the first one that did it. It's just they have heard this movie hyped up. And this is what I was a little concerned with going into the big Lebowski is I have seen people, you know, who have been influenced by it. I've seen things that have tried to emulate what the Coen brothers did with this film. But for me, sometimes you can't outdo the original and, and that works for, I mean, Halloween works for me, but the big Lebowski, man, that movie 22 years later and me seeing this for the first time, I'm like, this movie totally works this movie is is a a weird like la fairy tale you know it's set once upon a time in los angeles in night in the 1990s and the fact that they do that the fact that they don't date themselves by saying you know it's present day they they even said oh this happened in the 90s Mm mm-hmm which is funny because this movie came out in 98. So I don't know why I had to harken back to the, the early <laughs> 90s. But 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 for a modern viewer, they're like, okay, well, I'm, now I know this is what's going on. This isn't just mm-hmm. like, oh, this is how things were then. It's you're you are you are setting this story in time for me. And I think because this movie does that, it gives it a timelessness. It does. For me at least. Yes. No, I, I agree with you completely. And I love the fact that you came into this not sure, like almost afraid that you weren't going to like it, but came yeah. out of it enjoying the film so much. Because number one, that makes me feel good because, you know, I basically kind of said, hey, why when you mentioned you hadn't seen it, I'm like, you're coming on my show. We're doing this. Yeah. Well, no, I I, I, I said that specifically hoping you would ask me because I'm like, <laughs> all right, I'm going to throw something that is like the biggest you know, real, a person who hasn't seen the big Lebowski in this day and age, who was you know, has a whole show about expanding your nerd horizons. That's the whole point of our show. Yeah. And for whatever reason, I have not seen this movie. And 
I love I love I love that shared experience. I love watching something for the first time, especially it's when it's something that that people love. And that's yeah, I, I get nervous about some of these movies because I know people really love this movie. Mm-hmm. And it's not just like the Boondock Saints where it's like kind of just a cool movie to like mm-hmm. and cool movie to emulate. And I mean, I liked both of those movies. They're fine. They're sure. not my favorites, but they're fine. Mm-hmm. Um, but this one, I, I get why people love it so much. And it's, I'm, I'm actually more excited that I walked away being like, man, that movie totally lived up to everything that I've heard for it. Because when you, when you see some of these big movies, even, even, you know, as a modern viewer, or even, you know, when you started getting into movies and were researching films to watch, like the old ones, Casablanca, mm-hmm. Citizen Kane, all these things that you have been told, this is the number one movie of all time. Yeah. And if you're in a film class and you're, and you're learning uh, techniques and stuff, which is how I was introduced to watching Citizen Kane, I think that helps me better than if I had just turned it on. Because oh, absolutely. That, that movie is hard to argue with your average moviegoer that it's i know it's like the movie that everyone knows oh yeah it's the number one movie of all time but you get someone to sit down and watch it they're gonna be like i don't i don't understand why this is so popular it's, yeah it's kind of boring and 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 this that and the other and but if you're looking at it from and i hate to say this because it makes me sound pretentious but if you're looking at it from an academic perspective if you are dissecting the art of the filmmaking in that film you see why it's that brilliant but that does not make it the best movie of all time to me right it's i i I understand why it's been given that thing by by critics but at the same time you know i'm gonna turn on the big lebowski (laughs) yep no i'm with you 100 percent and look, I want to say thanks because this was a great discussion. I have been having just I a had blast. a blast. This I've, is so much. I've fun. had a blast all all three times that we've chatted, Travis. I, Absolutely, I, because I love the show. Um, and I'd be happy to send you a list of other. Uh, I don't. I don't know how many big holes I have. Uh, we 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 did some recently mm-hmm. uh, when we were doing you know, Tron and everything. Uh, but uh, I I would I would. I had a great time and it was a lot of fun discussing this movie. Absolutely. No, you're welcome back anytime. We'll talk some more. We'll find some more movies you haven't seen, or maybe a couple that I haven't seen because there's definitely holes in my, my movie making and you're welcome back to talk about stuff anytime you want, but you do a show and you had me on it. The more you nerd, um, mm-hmm. tell people where they can find that. Cause that's a great show too. Yeah. Uh, you can go to, uh, the more, you nerd.com. You can follow us on Twitter at the more, you nerd. Or on Facebook at The More You Nerd. Uh, we uh, have shifted the way we do things since we started returning. And we are doing monthly themes. Uh, this month, it's a little tongue-in-cheek. And we're trying very, very hard not to be too mean about it. But it's called uh, Quibi, which we are going into <laughs> all of the... Each week, we're, do, we're diving into one of the, the Quibi or Quibi shows uh, from this soon to be dead streaming service kind of seeing you know was the content an issue or was it just how it was handled mm-hmm. and and so far content's been pretty good so we're, we're, we're on week two we're watching the stranger but uh we recently did a trunk or treat for halloween where we did like a family friendly kind of halloween sort of things because oh, very cool yeah I, I I wanted to do something that would introduce some things that people might not have seen like Erie Indiana and um we watched paranorman Mm. and stuff like that so yeah we've been doing a lot of different themes uh we recently and we 
we actually almost invited you back on again. We did in September, uh, syndication September, where we did kind of a pilot season. I was going to mention and because we, I listened to and I loved the episode on Forever Night. Well, not to spoil anything for for future future themes, but uh, you're you're going to be pleased <laughs> with with what one syndication in September. But the, we almost did Highlander to have you on for for your other show, mm -hmm. and at the end we're like, well, we don't want to step on his toes, and he's already doing this. So um, we kind of opted not to do Highlander this time, um, although it's a show I grew up loving and going to my my buddy's house. Every, I think it was like Friday night at USA or something like that. Seems right. Yeah, it was definitely USA. And, I know that. Yeah, um, we we've we've had a blast every time we've had you on as well. So uh, we, we'll we will be doing more stuff in the future. I, yeah, I, <laughs> I I that's one of the things I like about when the as you guys have come back, those those themed months are really cool. I like. And I like catching like, okay, what's the theme this month and seeing what you guys can come up with because I've done a couple of theme months. I've got August is my Nick Cage month, um, which was just literally last year. I was like, you know, it'd be fun. Just watch nothing but Nick Cage movies for a month. Let's find Have some that people have. That new Nick Cage movie looks dope. Jiu-Jitsu? Oh. Oh, there's another one? Uh, oh, Wally's boy. Wonderland or something. It's. I think it's like him basically – you know, Five Nights at Freddy's kind of. Oh, uh, I heard about that. Yes, I haven't seen the trailer yet, but I'm gonna have to check that out. Um, there's a teaser out right now, and you you just ne you just never you know what you're gonna get with Nicolas Cage, but you just never know what you're gonna get Nicolas Cage. It's very true. <laughs> it's very very true. So, I, but I appreciate the theme months that you guys do, and and honestly, if you aren't listening to the more you need, you should because you and Drew, it's a fun show. And you guys, we, I appreciate that. We have a lot of fun doing. I like too that you can you have such a positive spin on some things. Like I could tell listening to Forever Night, where there was there was moments where we, both of you were like, "Is this really any good at all? Like, is this worth watching?" But then you're like, "But it's it's also so much fun." Like, you guys just have a cool energy about it. So I really like that show. Um, so when Drew when Drew started the show, initially we didn't have any criticism whatsoever, which we all kind of agreed kind of hurt the show a little bit. But our whole attitude was to be super objective and you know everyone everyone's a fan of something because our our, our show used to be we would take in listener submitted challenges mm -hmm. and uh watch read play whatever they did our whole thing was you know it has to be something that could be done in a week uh cheap is good free is better and most importantly is tell us why you love it tell us why we're we're, we're doing this thing and that worked for for a good six years, and then the challenges started to dry up. And so after Patrick start, um, basically stepped away to spend more time on our other show, uh, Cosmic Crit, which is an actual play Starfinder podcast, mm -hmm. uh, because he was editing, he was writing the adventures and 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 GMing. Oh, wow. So he was doing a lot of work, and he just didn't have time for the more you nerds. So Drew and I took a very long sabbatical trying to figure out what we wanted to do. And initially, it was going to be like a slow burn syndicated. Uh, like syndication September was going to be the entire show, basically, oh. starting with we couldn't find a good enough thing, episode by episode of Baywatch Nights. That was our oh, wow. that was our white whale, because season two became like an X Files type of show. Yeah, and I, 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 I want to see uh, Hassel. I want to see the Hoff fight vampires. I do. <laughs> it's it's something I feel like I need to see. Oh man, um, that is. Uh... That's probably something I don't even know if I could handle that. That's <laughs> that's something. Yeah, else. we we decided to revise it into into the themes, and I think every September we're going to try to do 
because uh, this yeah this one we did uh, Forever Night Tech War Mortal Kombat Conquest and Thunder and Paradise man and yeah. I've seen uh, I've seen all of those um, yeah. I was a Tech um, War fan I liked Tech War there was I, something so much I had fun a lot about of it. funny things to say about that show but it really swung for the fences it did it was it was ambitious I'll give you that and there's something about Greg Avigan too I don't know what it is about him like. That's another, I, I, he's I, I one of those, him. yeah, he's one of those that it shouldn't work, right? Like him in a sci-fi show, because at that Better, point. Nothing about that show should have worked, and it somehow did. <laughs> that's a good point. Um, but yeah, definitely check out The More You Nerd, because it's a ton of fun. But Drew, uh, thank you. Thank you Drew. Miles, thank you for being on this week. This was super fun. Thank you for fun. having me, Travis. I had a great time. I'm, I'm glad I got to finally fill this, this hole in my cinema backlog. <laughs> yep, yeah, we fixed that problem, and uh, we can move on to the next one. Um, now next week, uh, speaking of Ryan Johnson, I'm going to be doing, and this will be the most recent movie that we've covered on this show. Amy Frost is coming back and we're going to talk about knives out cause she hasn't seen it before. And I can't wait to talk about that one with her. Uh, cause I think she's going to dig that. And yeah. if you're a Ryan Johnson fan and you haven't seen that movie yet, what the hell are you doing? Go out and watch it. It's streaming on Amazon prime. Um, so that's, that's a ton of fun. Uh, I can't wait for that. So that's going to be next week. Um, awesome. So until next week in Knives Out, I just like to tell everybody to get out and enjoy your movies. And, um, you know, this has been Wait You Haven't Seen, The Dude Abides. Am I wrong? You're not wrong, Walter. You're just an asshole. Diamond Club hopes you have enjoyed this program. <laughs>